Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. We're throwing everything we can at this virus, tracking it from every angle. And that's what we have to keep doing. That's how we reopen our country. That's how we reopen our businesses. That's how we reopen our schools. That's how, even with the pandemic, we've generated a record job creation, a record economic growth in this country. We've moved forward in the face of COVID-19. We have moved forward in the face of the Delta variant. And we move forward now in the face of the Omicron variant as well. Well, X, we're moving forward. We're, we're, we're omni-moving. Ami moving, Ami moving. I, I keep saying Omicron, which know. is probably we, the next one, but I'm screwing up the Greek. I do Omicron. too. Apparently, that's either a, a a monster in a in a kind of science fiction movie. Uh, it's the one or, coming or from a new Atlanta. kind of theater. The, I'm going down to the Omicron to watch a, <laughs> a six story theater stream. And guess who's with us to sort of? Well, sort we need an out. Omni authority for we Omicron. A, John Heilman is back. Our old buddy. Mr. Multimedia, too. I like that he's that it's a monster. Maybe we should call him like Johnny Sacco and Giant Robot to fight off the yeah. Omicron. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Well, Promote the Omni Media presence, who will talk about Omicron, the one and only, our friend John Heilman. Hi, guys. Is executive editor and co-founder of The Recount, which is very cool. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Host of the Hell and High Water podcast and host and executive producer Long of our pal Mark McKinnon of the Circus on Showtime, which wait, wait, no season. MSNBC. He doesn't get any MSNBC mention. Well, we have to put some limit on this. Mike doesn't believe in, doesn't believe in cable anymore. Those are all of John's ventures. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. We've run out of time. Well, that's that why. That's why I haven't been invited back on the show in like a year. Too many titles, too man. Many titles. Whittle it down. I'm on oxygen just going through that. You only want unemployed uh, guest pundits on the show. It's like if you have no job whatsoever. Oh, wow. We're specialists in that. Absolutely. Someone's a little ouchy about not having been on lately. Yeah, really ouchy. I'm like, I miss you guys. Yeah. Well, you're back. I felt like I was banished. We wanted a, we wanted a little bit of the holiday cheer, so we invited Yeah, we, we invited couldn't you miss back. you if you wouldn't go away. You see, this, now it's like the Elvis comeback. <laughs> this tour. is so fantastic. This is, this is big, big box oh, office man. here. You're back. We can't go on together. with suspicious. All right, guys. Violence. We got a new variant. We can't, we can't continue this. We have to talk about this. And, and we have to talk about it in quintessentially hacky mm. ways, which is to say, what does this mean? Uh, I mean, there are people who may be, whose lives may be at risk and yeah. so on. Our job is to dumb it all down to politics and ask, what does this mean? Uh, obviously, Biden hustled out there on Monday uh, to, uh, to, to show that he was on top of the thing to calm uh, people down. But uh, it, it feels like there are implications for him, depending on how this thing goes. Well, I mean, look, guys, I mean, I think the one place... I'm doing all the I'm doing all the reading, you know, and looking at the your neighborhood epidemiologists and all these people who are writing about this stuff. I do think right now we don't know the answer because it is actually, although you actually rightly you're for this show, we're like, let's talk about the politics. But the politics really are going to be contingent on the science here to the extent that if this thing turns out to be not more transmissible, not more deadly, possibly can't compete with Delta. You know, right. it could it could go it could burn out in, in a month and and then we're we're you know has no effect on Biden if it turns out to be the next Delta bad fairly yeah. or not just bad for Biden just the way Delta was bad for Biden even if you don't blame him for it it's you know it, we know how it actually works in the world which is you know the guy who got elected to, to tame COVID he's gotten blamed for for Delta even if it wasn't his fault and he'll get blamed for this even if it's not his fault yeah that that I think has been the real political lesson that there there was kind of this idea when when biden got elected that if you do everything right you know which is more pins on the wall more scientists you don't make fun of fauci you don't talk about drinking drano uh people will reward you for that the fact is when there's covid people are grumpy and pissed off and they punish the incumbent and so biden has done all the quote-unquote smart things and it's really done very little for him so the the question for me is 
you know, and, and John's totally right. We don't know the science on this. I mean, it, you know, we actually have to let the lab. I mean, if we don't know, no one knows. Yeah, right. No, I'm, I'm here. I've got my, you know, I've got my local chiropractor who's going to do a cable <laughs> hit with me in a minute. We're going to analyze the whole thing and predict forward. But, but hey, this you know, isn't, this isn't CNN, Mike. This isn't CNN. Don't do that. Don't do that. I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, oh, no, that's, this is part of the thing. Don't, I, that's so beneath you. Anyway, go ahead. My, my spider sense is tingling from paranoia from the campaign trail, which I know you share, Axe. I feel like in a decade there'll be the Columbia Journalism School or whatever will be doing retrospectives on how cable got a little quick on this one. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's, oh. it's the Hindenburg on TV and we don't know yet. And I will give people some more useless information because I too am culling through the vast scientific uh, uh, knowledge here. Yeah. And I saw an article in one of the national papers of record talking to the physician who was very viral savvy uh, in Peoria who, who flagged the first cases. And it's all through the, the many variants and what could it mean and all that. And then she goes, the funny thing is the cases have all been mild. <laughs> right. That was yeah. the kicker on the story. Yeah. So we just don't know. But it's trouble for Biden. It's been in both directions, though. You've heard people on cable like saying, oh, my God, this is it. This is another Delta. It could be worse. We could all die. And then you've also heard people kind of saying, well, the evidence seems to suggest it's not worse. Well, it's they actually quite either. mild. Nobody knows anything right now about this. All I know is that the guy who's the head of Moderna was did an interview yesterday in the FT where he said that he thought that 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 from what he yeah. could tell and I thought that guy's a pretty good source he said he thought that 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 the bi- the current vaccines were not going to be enough to fight this off and that there was a reasonable there was a reasonable sense that there was going to have to be some tweaking done to the vaccines at least yeah, early next year to deal with this you just sent the markets tumbling. Sorry. Well, no, he did. The it's FT it's guy. the Financial Times. <laughs> the, the, no, the Financial no, Times. I'm and kidding. I want to check his options account because I, if I were virologist now, I could have a little fun manipulating the stock market. And I will say mm. the Pfizer guys, who are the PR geniuses, were out yeah. three days before saying, whatever it is, we're going to know in three weeks we'll have something in 100 days. That's actually consistent with the Moderna guy, 100 days. Yeah, yeah. Sure. He, yeah. he said a little longer, but yeah. But it was, you know, it was interesting. The minute the word of this variant came out, the market just sunk because there is this link between uh, the virus and the economy. I just want to go and I'll talk about that in a second, but I want to go back to the point, uh, your point, Mike. It is true that uh, people had expectations uh, when Biden got elected that he would be competent and put this behind us and we'd move forward. And, And he did all the right things. At first, uh, to get the va- the vaccine out, they did a good job of doing that and so on. Didn't anticipate the resistance they ran into. Uh, but I, I, I think in some ways, giving people that sense that we were going to get past it has turned out to be kind of a, uh, a, a mixed bag for him because these, you know, you think back to July when yeah. we were going to celebrate Independence Day. Yeah. Well. And then by mid-August... We're back in the soup because of Delta. I think the psychological impact, that's when, yes. yes, Afghanistan happened, but I've talked about this before. That's when the lines crossed. That's when Biden started polling underwater. Uh, I, I just think, you know, the everybody is just psychologically exhausted from this. And so every new surge it's is problematical, plus the economic impact, well, supply chains, inflation that results uh from them and uh you know all of this is 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 a problem for him so the quicker that you can at least put it in the corner if not a box the better so therefore you know this is obviously unwelcome news but how about this let me riddle you wizards a question he's doing the right thing now which is wait and see science we've got plans we're on it i'm awake but one of the problems Biden has politically, and, and I think the, the, the kerfuffle in the House, uh, Kabul, it's all, all kind of tied together, is he, does, he looks weak. And he looks a bit tired. Is it time for a tactics change up? And is this the opportunity? Because if we get some news back from the labs that this thing is another bad one, maybe not worse than Delta was, but it's significant, it, is it time to have the no more Mr. Nice Guy messaging and said, hey, to the morons who won't get masks and are screwing up our country and causing your kid's school to close, enough already. Here are more penalties. I'm going to let the health insurance people go after you. And and really try to have the war because there's a NBC poll out now saying people you know, don't want mandatory vaccinations. Right. Like It's yes. like a little less than 50-50. But I don't know. I think Biden needs a good fight. And this could be a good, big, everybody's talking about a fight. 
toughen up his image a little. Didn't he try to have this fight once though? Yeah, but it was like kitten swipes. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's just a there's two things. I'll say one thing exculpatory for Biden, which is I don't I think that you know that the thing that everybody underestimated and probably stupidly was just how that this resistance to the vaccine, hesitance about the vaccine is not happened in a vacuum. It's, it's right. been fueled by conspiracy theories, lies, frauds, all, I, to say, in other words, say, you mean Fox and ambitious politicians. Yeah. The Republican, right. the Republican party, Fox news and all of right wing media that have been not just promulgating these lies and conspiracy theories and, and fomenting hesitance and resistance and creating a, a national thing out of a, I mean, Mike, you and I, can remember when the anti-vax thing was really a California phenomenon and it was as much left as it was right. right. I hated big pharma. Jenny McCarthy. And it was, yeah, and it was, it was tiny. Chuckleheads. And, yep. and, Bo- and Bobby, Ken- Bobby Kennedy Jr. Th- there's a bunch of these people who were like this, but it was never 50% of the country or 30% of the country. That's really the result of the culture war. It's still a hangover from Trump. And then the fact that even without Trump, you've got Fox News, OAN, you know, all the rest of these places, Newsmax, and all these Republicans who are, who are fundraising off of vaccine. They, they drive vaccine hesitancy. They drive the conspiracy theories and they make money off it. So that I think the Biden people did not recognize. They thought they could do all the stuff that would, you would normally do in a normal world and it would all work out. And then they got hit with the deep divide that, you know, is a whole PhD dissertation about what our country's like. The thing that Axe said, I think, is the one place that they really fucked it up, right? Was that you go back and look at that speech, that July 4th speech, that de- declaration of independence from the virus speech, which was close to a mission accomplishment moment for Biden. It really did set him up for the when the Delta thing kicked in, which it literally was kicking in at the moment he said yeah, those right. things. It was like starting to break out. And I think that has everybody, the Delta thing is now in everybody's mind. It's like that happened once, it could happen again. We all thought we were going to have a hot back summer, and then we got hit with a worse wave. And is that about to happen again now? Right. And that's what's driving the the panic right, right now, yes. the lack of facts, thinking, well, you know, wet streets cause rain, it'll happen again. It will be as bad as Delta, because that's what we just went through with. But what about this idea? Wait, 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 wait. And also, let's just add in the fact that, as was predicted, there are there is a resurgence which everybody said would happen when the when the weather when the winter came. cold yeah and, and holiday so, travel so picked, holiday travel picked up yeah yeah and here we are again on that he has to do something politically so if I were him it's time for a big move if the country is having a culture war over this get in it lead it and win um, because passive Biden ain't working and he's you know the Democratic bedwetting is now off the scale also triggered by this oh my God this is going to do him in. Uh, uh, time for a big move because he's got nothing left to lose. Now, maybe it's the wrong big move, but I'm curious, uh, Axe, what you think about that. Well, yeah, if he loses, it's not very, uh, it's not, it's not, yeah, I mean, he should do it if he thinks he can win. He should do it if he thinks he can win. And maybe if he thinks that you, this is the, as he would say, the cross to die on, he, you know, yeah. uh, uh, may, maybe this is it uh but uh you know he did uh, i think you guys you called it kitten sw- swipes but he you know he did force mandatory uh mandatory vaccinations on government institutions he did on larger businesses that is still being litigated uh you know he did do these things um and you know I, i'm not sure and and his numbers were going down during that so as a political matter i'm not sure that's the way out i agree with you Look, I think that um, there are a lot of things that have combined here. We've talked about this a lot, and this just adds to it, that give people a sense of unease, that things are loose, that things are uh, not under control. And against that, his affect, you know, uh, is, is problematical and adds to this notion that maybe he's not, maybe things aren't under control. I don't blame him for i mean this is a monstrous situation one place one place where one place where i think he and you know he made a point yesterday of saying that the u.s has sent out 275 million vaccinations but the world is like billions and billions and billions and billions of vaccinations short and as long as you've got continents where there are less than 10 percent of people vaccinated this 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 shit is still going to reject there's going to keep regenerating we're going to get new variants and so on and that's where i would kind of like i would i would yes i would do what you're saying mike in some form or fashion i'd also really really uh you know lead the world here in a uh because you know this isn't just our problem All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. 
Murphy, as we've discussed so many times here, facts can be hard to find nowadays. And that is particularly true when you're looking for car or home insurance. And I know you have some strong feelings about that. Well, I've worked in the insurance industry, proud to have done that, but I know you better read the damn contract. I've met the guys that write them, and I get tired of getting out the electron microscope when I'm online shopping trying to figure out what the fine print says. It's a huge time sink. That is where the zebra comes in. With the zebra, you can compare car and home quotes from every major insurance company, and guess what? Under five minutes giving you all the facts you need to make the right decision. It's the fastest way to find the right coverage at the right price, and it'll help you find a provider you can trust. No, and it'll save you money. The Zeb, also known as the Zebra. I'm just trying to hip it up here a little bit for the kids. That's a zebra of a different stripe. (laughs) The Zebra saves people an average of $922 a year on home and auto combined. Plus, they're totally independent. They're working for you, not the sellers. Their only agenda is finding the right home and car policies for you. The whole search for insurance can be like a funhouse experience where you don't quite know what you're getting, what you're paying, what the limitations are. Then you need the insurance, and they say, well, you didn't read line 76G. So what you want to do is save time and save money and compare quotes for free at thezebra.com slash hacks. That's thezebra.com slash hacks. You've heard of horse sense? Get zebra sense. When it comes to insurance, it's the best sense of all. I think one of the things that's true about Biden is that he goes out when they try to message on the economy or on the back on on the on COVID. He he just you know he he cites these statistics, but none of the none of the events, none of the of the the events out in the out in the country, none of the events behind the podium, none of them does he come across as as being strong and energetic and in command. So my I don't think. And so the one of the questions, and I get this all the time. You know, eight weeks of being out on the road with the circus. You know, you have Democrats who come up to you. They're not trashing Joe Biden, but they all come up and say. Hey, is he okay? You know, what do you know about Biden? Is he doing all right? Like people are concerned. That's not a great place to be. So you guys are the strategists, like the real strategists. What do you do when you reach the limit of what a politician's performance ability yeah. is? Just he is what he is. He can't right. be something other than what he is. He's nearly 80-year-old Joe Biden who's lost some miles an hour on his fastball, and he's not going to be commanding. He's not going to be energetic. Mike, to your point, does do you really think Joe Biden in his current political form is like, I'm going to go take on this fight and kick ass. There's just nothing I've seen from that so far. Yeah, no, I totally get this. I, I But what I, do you do when you get to the limits with, with your candidate or your or your office holder and you're just, I can't make him be anything other than what he is. He is this. He can't be something else. Well, what you do is you pick a big fight, which you can do with the presidency that your machine can win for you. So he can go a week from now and stand in front of a big elementary school and give a national televised speech and say, look, this thing is bad. The science is coming back. You got to put on your goddamn mask and take a shot or schools all over America. Moms are going to shut down again. We're going to be back in hell and just rhetorically go after him and then fan the cabinet out. Then he goes back to the command center and, but have a machine that can fight for you. Uh, Even if you got to put Kamala out there, she's another one who needs something to happen to give her a path, though she may not be capable of rehabilitation. So yeah. where he shows up now with the Ray Bands and says, hey, babe, it's all going. Everything's going to be okay. I'm working on it. And and everybody comes back and got tired, not in control. And then he's got the sideshow in the house, which weakens him too. Though maybe that's coming to an end. So big fight. I think he did the right thing yesterday by urging calm because it is foolish to get in a panic before we know that there's oh, a I reason to that. be in a panic. But I, I don't know. Look, John, you raise a really, really important question which is what do you do when your main instrument of communications is is so limited yeah. uh i mean and you know you you uh i, I you know i have a, a lot of affection for biden and respect and look he's been underestimated uh, a lot and I, everybody I needs to acknowledge that here and elsewhere I agree. uh but uh, but um but sometimes when he's speaking um 
it, it feels like white noise. Do you remember, Jeff, acts back when you guys were in the White House, when the BP oil spill happened, a lot of people were like, the, the, I remember it well. Obama's got to get mad. He's got to go kick some ass. And right. and you were always like, well, like there's a lot of skills Barack Obama has. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of range as an oratorical force and he's has a lot of political skill, very adept and very deft. But the thing he was never good at was getting pissed at people. That's yeah. never been like, that's never been one of his fortes. And I always used to think, well, you're telling the, the White House to tell Barack Obama to do a thing he doesn't do. He yeah. doesn't get ang- populist energy. Populist anger is not his metier. But Obama had so many other tools you could Well, use. I agree. I agree. I, I think because Biden doesn't have any tools. The good thing about a big fight is it gives everybody something to do. It simplifies the world. It, it puts people in lanes. It just, right, what the Democrats love to do is talk endlessly about the failures of whoever they got. What the Republicans do is grab a sharp stick and run forward. Yeah. And it's, it doesn't always work, but at least it's a plan. Yeah, you just don't want to fall on your stick, you know what I mean? A lot of what happened in Virginia had to do with school closings. and Yes. So so I'm not sure I would go back there. But the other thing you said, Mike, is absolutely right, which is they they should stop relying. I mean, sometimes you have to put the president out. You mentioned the oil spill. You'll remember this, uh, John. We we waited too long. Yes, you did. I mean, Obama was absolutely steeped in the details of this in the White House, but nobody saw it. And we had to get him out, and he had to show connection with the people who were suffering. And we were we were too late in doing this. Uh, I think that they were very determined to get Biden out there. And sometimes you have to get the president out, but they got to figure out how to use the other communicators around them uh, and uh, and and make him less of a ball. Ca- if you're a football team and uh, your 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 running back is not picking up a lot of yards, then you got to figure out other places to go with the ball they will remember the the barack obama's attitude towards yelling at the ceo of bp which was how is me yelling at the ceo of bp gonna plug the damn hole yes <laughs> yeah but i mean you know that's part of the performance yes of the presidency. I, I know is, i know uh, i know that's my yeah feeling your pain and all that stuff in the main we succeeded by asking him to do the things that he did well he was good at yeah you right know, one of them it was uh we did an awful lot of local news you yeah. know and i don't understand why they're not doing that which is like the low-hanging fruit of American politics, you know, you don't get the tough kind of questions that you that you get, uh, uh, you know, at a White House news conference, and you can localize your message. And I don't understand why he's. That is something that he could do. Remember, when you look at Biden, what does he have? He has a perception of decency and empathy, and his heart on his sleeve. Uh, yes. he, he is an emotional Paul. So, for Christ's sake, let him get mad. That is playing his tool, right. uh, and 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 instead of analyzing it, I mean, yeah, they could use more satellite uplinks to live at five. I totally agree; it's the easiest thing in the world to do. But in terms of the big narrative here, it's the second act. He's knocked on his ass. We don't know if he knows how to fight anymore. He was a great boxer once. He's got to get up and slug, or the vacuum is just—he's going to be Jimmy Carter two point Yeah, it's heading that way on him. Okay, then let's take a break right here. And we'll be right back. Murphy. Murphy, I'm talking to you. Ah, Speaking to my horn, Axe, I can't (laughs) hear you. I wish I had a better way to listen. Well, now we do. Well, I'll tell you what, MD Hearing Aid. MD Hearing Aid is an FDA-registered rechargeable hearing aid that costs a fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. The average price of a hearing aid, Mike, in America is over $2,400 a pair. But their Volt Plus model is just $299.99 each when you buy a pair. You know, my wife is always telling me I'm deaf, and I tell her, you mumble. So she made me go to the ear doctor who said, wow, you're handsome, but you're also getting older, and your hearing and your right ear is starting to go down. So I'm actually beginning the process over the next few years of uh, figuring out what I can do about it. And I love their story. MD Hearing Aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who saw how many of his patients needed hearing aids but simply couldn't afford them. So he made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone can afford. That's okay. I wanted to talk about the audiologist who thought you were handsome who now has to go to an eye doctor. But anyway, (laughs) yeah, their sleek design fits so well, no one will even know you're wearing it. Plus... 
It's rechargeable with battery life that lasts up to 30 hours. If you forget to take your hearing aids off in the shower, not to worry. The Volt Plus is water-resistant up to three feet of water. What's the secret? How did they make their hearing aids so affordable? Since about 95% of the people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, MD hearing aids simplified the need for certain components, just not needed by most people. Plus, they cut out the price-hiking middlemen. You don't even need a prescription or a doctor's appointment for MD hearing aid. You buy it directly from them with audiologists and licensed hearing specialists available seven days a week. Plus, veterans get a great deal from MD hearing aid. Russell J. wrote in to say he's worked around F-4 fighter jets for many years. I mean, we're talking real noise there in his days in the Navy. And he thought, frankly, he'd never hear again. But he put in the Volt Plus from MD Hearing Aid, and he could actually hear the leaves crackling under his feet. No, it is. MD Hearing Aid has brought affordable hearing to over 600,000 satisfied customers. Plus, they offer a 45-day risk-free trial with a 100% money-back guarantee so you can buy with confidence. So turn up the volume if you don't have an MD Hearing Aid so you can get this info. Go to mdhearingaid.com and use promo code HACKS to get their buy one, get one, $299 each offer. Plus, they're adding a free extra charging case, $100 value, just for our listeners here at Hacks on Tap. So head to mdhearingaid.com and use our promo code HACKS or... You can even call them at 1-833-773-1326. That's 1-833-773-1326. I don't want to nitpick, but I will say that, you know, Mike, when you suggested the cabinet earlier, and I, I, this could be a question or a statement, but first a statement. I like... Is, have you guys seen a, the cabinet? I don't again. I hate to be like relentlessly negative, but is there like a is there a strong cabinet force in this on this administration that I haven't detected yet? I mean, the biggest star in the cabinet is Pete Buttigieg, who's not going to be the ball carrier on the thing that Mike's talking about right now. Who do they have? It's like it feels to me they're all competent people running the departments. You know, I'm not I'm not like criticizing their performance, but there's not like a political superstar in the mm-hmm. cabinet or someone who you look at and say, other than you know, people talk about Pete running for president, but other than that. It's not like the cabinet no, can like be like, well, Biden's not that great, but the cabinet could do the job. It's like, who is that? I, I think Granholm could get out there and be America's Maybe. had enough mom on take yeah. your goddamn vaccine so my kid can go to school. Although she is Canadian after all. Well, no, I, I remember no, her from Michigan. We're longer. always trying to send her back. Uh, <laughs> but she can be an effective communicator if focused. But you're, you're, you're right. He's not exactly holding a royal flush there. It's tough. But back to your fight, though, Mike, just to pick up on your... Yeah. If you were to have a fight, the fight should be against people who are who are weaponizing our tra- uh, you know our challenges. Of course, who yeah, are yeah. trying to who are trying to cash in on people's suffering, who are misleading people. I mean, I think that is a thing that he could do and maybe should do at this point. I mean, you know, the, all these Republican governors, uh, you know, all these people right. who are who are propagating. Uh, uh, myths. All these people who are, you know, we've had vaccine vaccine mandates for time immemorial. That's how we escaped all the big diseases in the past. And uh, you know, so if you're going to take it on, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the thing that pisses people off so much, and they see it every day, is this notion that the people in Washington care less about uh, their lives than they do about their own asses and their own power and that they'll take any issue and weaponize it for their own purposes regardless of what the public impact is and we see examples of it all the time and uh i I think he could i think that's where empathy meets anger but it could be a two-pronged thing which is quacks and con men give them a name and go out after them harry truman style loud and proud and second every family has an asshole uncle walt who spent yeah. all of Thanksgiving talking <laughs> about the vaccine is made by the Jews and you can't trust it. And it's basically tell America's <laughs> Uncle Walt to get the goddamn shot. You're going to screw up the grandkids. Well, let me just say apologies. Uh, apologies to, to Uncle, all the Uncle Walters Walt. out there in the world. Well, to Uncle yeah. Walt Murphy, who does shouldn't be. You should deal with your problems with your family on your own. OK, you don't you shouldn't use this as your. Thera- don't you understand the obvious X? I'm <laughs> Uncle Walt. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Here's another like little analogy from history that that plays into this, right? Back again, back in David, back in your administration, there was a brief period where Anita Dunn thought like she could take on right wing media, and then you guys backed off from that. At the time, it was like okay. Either you could say Anita was way ahead of her time, or you could say she was way ahead of her time, either not to the positive or negative. But there was a cost to that, right? Fox News at that point, you guys were still trying to like have a relationship with Fox News that was like some in some way connected, tethered to reality. I, I guess I don't understand exactly what to go to Mike's thing about quacks. What was your thing? Quacks and what? Quacks and conmen. Quacks and conmen. What what would be the political cost at this point? Of taking on right wing media by a White House, for there's him, none. none. There's nothing for that. Yeah, there's right. no, 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 absolutely. There's no world where that all he couldn't get fucked harder by a news network than he is by Fox News, OANN, and and, right. and 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 Newsmax. Now, why not make that part of it? And that's something that I'm. No, there's I, no I, doubt. Every in that White House, they're pit. They're that they're furious about the way it's covered, and they are purveyors of evil, yeah. purveyors of misinformation, people who are like literally killing people in the country. Why not take that? That's a fight. I don't know. Again, I see no downside to it. Yeah. What's the there no downside? Yeah, I actually think there's more profit in that than taking on Uncle Walt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm t- there's gold in Uncle Walt. Everybody <laughs> knows. Everybody. And again, you we this can't be kitten swipes. Biden is fading fast. He's heading toward a midterm disaster and a situation where even if he wants to run again, he's going to probably have big trouble in the party, maybe even a primary. So the biggest thing going on culturally out there is this fight. And the biggest thing in the fight that has stakes for real people, there too. Yes. Inflation, as yes. I've warned everybody for yes. a year in this podcast, yes. and COVID, particularly if we're having a big comeback here. So get in it and win it because you got nothing to lose. You're dying. I'm out in California last week, Mike, uh, for Thanksgiving weekend. The two things that people are talking about are once Omicron broke, the two things were basically, are we going to be able to have a Christmas vacation, a real Christmas now, or are we going to be driven back into our caves? And if, and and if we have a real Christmas, how much are we gonna have to pay for the gasoline that we were going to put in the tank of the car to drive to see uncle Walt? And it's like, those are the two things to your point. It's tangible that people are just like, oh shit, Christmas could be off and oh fuck. I got to pay $4.75 a gallon to drive to see Uncle Walton Modesto. And it's like, that's all like just on the Hell, ground. That's all anybody's talking here. about. Well, you know, yeah, I, I find the cheapest, uh, I find the cheapest station. Yeah, no, no, no. Let me know your yeah, station. No, come, come on, the Union too. 76 in Glendale. It's great. Just for all the angry Republican mail I get, I'll quickly note that the four states with the highest gas taxes, state over 50 cents a gallon are all run by Democrats. Anyway, moving on. Uh, you know, I, I live a lot of the time in uh, your your home state of Michigan, and you should come home. I I think I paid three thirty seven a gallon. Well, that's good Republican leadership. Some of the time. no, 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 no. I know, we got a I, know I know, there. but there there is a correlation. That said, by the way, just because we're nerding out for one sec, I can hardly wait to say this. One of the things I didn't like about Biden's plan was this thing to pay people more to buy electric cars because we've tried that; it doesn't really work. In Europe, they sell a lot more electric cars because gas is more expensive. The best yes. market incentive to move to EVs is high gas prices. You can even make a case to raise them. Weren't you just bitching about gas? No, no, no. There are two ago? things going on. This is a thoughtful policy argument. Before I was making a ah, cheap political ah, point because okay, okay. old old habits. <laughs> it's die unbelievable hard. what resides in, be, in between those ears. There, they're just it's like amazing. two completely different, <laughs> different characters. People. Yeah, and you never know. It's like it's like doing a podcast with Sybil. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> red rum, red rum. Not Sybil. I know different poll. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, Get back no, in charge. I, I just wanted to the, just segueing off of your doomsaying about Biden. And let's just parenthetically say, if the virus gets under control, if the supply chains get straightened out, and if the economy is better and people are feeling better a year from now, it could minimize uh, the hit that they now appear they're going to take. But that's a lot of ifs. And uh, there's but the, it, but it, yeah, it raises the question of Biden, right? Because right now you could argue, I mean, yes, inflation is a huge problem. I'm with you, Mike. I've been saying it for a year also. And the supply chain issues are what they are. They're, you know, not actually probably as bad as some But they're say, actually but related they're, to inflation. They're, rela- they're related. But the other thing is that the economy is booming, right? The jobs reports are off the charts. The stock market has been off That's the charts. That's not how people measure the economy, John. But job employment is one of those ways, David, right? That's one way. I mean, having a job is one way. <laughs> Uncle Walt cares about real income. I get it. The numbers go up on his gas tank. I get it. All I'm trying to, I'm just trying to make the point that the day, I'm trying to elongate your point, David, which is just to say, it's not crazy to think that there are some problems with the economy, admitted ones. Inflation's a problem. The supply chain's a problem. On the other hand, the, the employment growth is strong. 
There's been other things that suggest that it could not be Armageddon next October. The economy could be, if the, if the, if the virus is under control, David, to your if, the economy could be roaring by, by next summer. Could be. It's, there's no reason to think. I mean, the problem with even the problem with inflation is the economy is too hot. Dubious, but could be. Will it be roaring in a way that causes people to feel better? Well, that's the question. That's the question, right? Time to pay the meter, but we will be right back. Now, let's hear from our sponsor. So, dear listeners, we have an amazing new sponsor here, and I am excited to talk about it because our at-home coffee, well, it just does not live up to my high expectations. Here's the good news. Trade can change all that. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever. The journey to your perfect cup starts with taking their coffee quiz. Mm. You use a French press, automatic drip. You're a cold brew person. No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with a perfect coffee to fit your taste. This would be great for my son and daughter-in-law who drive miles to get a cup of coffee in the morning. Trade will match you to coffees you'll love from 400-plus craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag as often as you'd like. Trade also guarantees you will love your first match. On the off chance you don't, maybe you filled in the survey wrong or something, they don't mind. They will replace it with a different bag for free. You don't pay a dime. You can also give feedback as you sip. As your preferences evolve and you experiment with more coffees, your coffee matches will too. You can feel good about each cup since trade partners with 55, and it's a growing number, small U.S.-based roasters who are committed to ethical and sustainable sourcing. Cool. For our listeners right now, trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com slash hacks and use promo code hacks. Take the quiz to start your journey to the perfect cup. You're going to like it. That's drinktrade.com slash hacks, promo code hacks for your first bag free and five bucks off your bundle. Tony Fabrizio was here a few weeks ago. He did not tell us, uh, he did not tell us, Murphy, that he was polling for Trump in the laboratory. Polling for, <laughs> well, we, we kind of knew he was polling for Trump, but that he had a little poll going in the five uh, in the five swing states. You see that poll? Yeah, I did. You know, one, I had to laugh because we all know yeah, the in the toolbox poll. of political hackery tricks. Confidential memor- memorandum yeah, leak. Here's a secret poll. Don't print it, which happens to show us years ahead of the election during a dip for the guy there beating him. And the Trump polls historically from some of these quarters have been some of the most laughable polls yeah, ever done. Yeah, those have been pretty but good. But it worked. I mean, it, 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 it sent a little jolt to the Republican Party that, you know, wow, he could win. We could win, 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 heroin. And I don't have to worry about my primary if I'm nice to him and we won't lose. And, you know, it, it had its effect. It was a well-executed caper. I mean, the numbers that aren't here, of course, are how other Republicans might be doing uh, right now. I mean, there's an argument that Biden is vulnerable right now or looks vulnerable right now. I mean, uh, and so, uh, yeah, he's he's not polling well against Trump. He's also not uh, presumably would be polling well against many other Republicans and you hear Republicans privately make the argument that Trump may uh, that 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 he might be able to beat Biden, but he may be the weakest of the candidates they could field in some ways. So yeah, I'm waiting for the poll to be leaked with with Biden doing 49 against some primary opponent, Stacey Abrams doing 18. All I can say, I'm sure you guys have talked about this on the show in in, in the past. I hope this isn't all you can say because we got another half hour. Well, all right. All I can say about this. We got a lot of points to elongate here. The only (laughs) the 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 only the only polling that I'm that I'm obsessed with is the polling that has things I've never. Maybe you guys have seen this in your careers. I haven't. That in the first year of a new presidency, more than one poll showing that the plurality of Democrats don't want Biden to be the nominee next time. Never seen that question even asked in the first year of a new presidency. And now it's being asked routinely. And now it's being asked routinely. And it comes back in a bad place for Biden every time it comes back. What do you guys make of that? How much is that? It's not just one poll now. There have been several of them. And I don't know, are are you freaking out if you're in the White House and you're seeing that, David? Well, yes. I mean, there's nothing about the polling right now that makes me happy if I'm in the White House. And I think they recognize uh, the situation 
that they're in. And in terms of him running again, I mean, I don't know if he's going to run again or not. Uh, but I sure know if I were weren't going to run again, I wouldn't be saying it ten months into my into my in, into my term. That's not my question, though. My question, my- John. This has always been an extraordinary situation. Yeah, uh, because he was the fireman who came in and put out the blaze. Totally, uh, he was the old fireman who came out of retirement and put on his his gear and went out and put out the blaze. Uh, there was, I think, even then, uh, some question as to whether he was going to be able to uh, gear, uh, you know, uh, man up again in four years and do it one more time. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't find it that. Here's what I find extraordinary: the guy passed this huge infrastructure bill. Yeah, which is historic. <laughs> it's historic. Which you've forgotten he, what it is already. But no, no, yeah. no, no. He passed this historic. I, I'm finding the length of this bill. answer extraordinary. But keep I'm, going. Al- I'm elongating it, <laughs> and he's he. I think he's probably on the road to passing this. Uh, the other half of it, mm-hmm. we could talk about that. Uh, both of which would be signature accomplishments for a president. And it's not even in the conversation, which goes back to this notion of style and a sense that things are out of control and that maybe he's not up to it. Even as he has, you know, that infrastructure bill in the spring, everybody, you know, people were laughing at him, this notion that he was going to get a bipartisan infrastructure bill. Democrats were telling him he was, you know, he was having delusions that he could do that. He did it. Uh, and, and it means, you know, it, it is not registering in part because people haven't seen anything from it yet. Mike, does uh, anybody care about policy achievements anymore in America? Well, that's part of the problem because we got this blood sport electric. Which, which brain is going to answer this question? They both will in a rare moment of harmony. <laughs> synergy, Murphy, Murphy yeah, synergy. Yeah, right we're synergy time here on the cast. So. The amazingly hard thing he did, bipartisan infrastructure, got buried in what was supposed to be the easy thing, which was get his own party to pass a big, popular, quote-unquote, domestic spending program. That's still in the muck, though. It looks like it might be crawling out. And I think the House could still be a bump because Manchin has the power to get what he wants. Um, but no, I think that is in the culture war era we're in now, somewhat tragically, I think the Dems think when in doubt the bullet point list of things the government will do for you is the magic cure-all, and I'm not sure it is, and Biden has had a lot of problem punching it through because other bigger stuff has taken the space, and I think it's more than tactics to break through, which is, if I were him, again, I'd jump into, I would grab a stick and go to where the war is. And And David, you guys both mentioned Virginia. I'll just say that having spent some time there in the middle of that race, there was occasionally people would say, wow, well, it would. what if we had passed the infrastructure bill? That would really help Terry McAuliffe. I saw no evidence on the ground that passing that infrastructure bill would have done a fucking thing for Terry McAuliffe in that race. Not a thing. I think that, you know, I mean, if you took away the two months of partisan in, of, of intraparty fighting, maybe the impression that Washington wasn't mired in muck. Well, that was, so, that so was a surrogate for the larger issue, which is they didn't have their shit together. But you heard in the last three weeks, people were like, let's pass the bill because McAuliffe needs it. Yeah. I just No, it was too late at that point. The, the, mostly McAuliffe saying that. And the voters you met were saying the things you just got, has been saying, which is that the voters were like, they weren't even talking about CRT that much, critical race theory. Right. They were just like, we're verklempt. It's like, right. it's we're, we don't know what the fuck's going on and the schools right. are closed and we don't right. like this and we don't like that. And everything's a mess. And we don't know where it's going. Just that free floating sense of anxiety and angst and agita that that attached itself to the governing party and and i just i thought well yeah sure you yeah. can pass this infrastructure bill but no one's gonna give a fuck about that infrastructure yeah let, bill let me here. just footnote that a bit because i agree with what you're saying with this caveat if in the land of make-believe they had not had crazy progressives they'd not commingled the two and months before biden had passed infrastructure and then every democratic candidate or incumbent sure. got to go on sure. the roads sure. doing the great old classic campaign Vote for me, roads in progress. It would have built up some steam and done good for them, but they didn't get anywhere near close that. If they passed it in August, as soon as the Senate passed it out, and they passed it in the House immediately, right, and right, then right. had two months to campaign on it in a coordinated, aggressive, disciplined exactly. way, maybe. But you know, this is the Democratic Party. Give me a break. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, right. I and mean, with a very slim majority in both houses, in both chambers, I, I, I feel pretty safe in saying if they could have passed it in August. <laughs> They would have passed it yeah. in August. They just couldn't pass it uh, in August. And, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I think he, he deserves credit if they end up passing both of them at all. But the big, you know, we've talked about this a million times, Mike. The problem with big omnibus bills is, you know, they look like big 
omnibus bills, and no one knows what's in them. And you know, I think if they wanted to have a big fight, if some you know over paid family leave or preschool or something like that, that that those are profitable fights. Nobody knows what's in these bills, and uh, nobody knows what's in this infrastructure bill. It just seems like a bunch of Washington pablum to a lot of people right now, with a very high price tag, even though they're right. paid for. Right. right. Everybody's like, oh my God, it's trillions of dollars as if it's all going out the door tomorrow. Biden looks like he's a tired accountant semi-presiding over it. There's no movie here. You know what I mean? There's no there's no big conflict. There's no hero. There's no Biden getting up from the mat. There's just this endless squabble. And Biden is kind of the, the referee on the sidelines, occasionally blowing a whistle and, and half the players ignore him. That's just that's just toxic as hell. Yeah. Well, that's because everybody's over in the next theater watching this dystopic. Right. Th- uh, you so know, Joe, kill a zombie. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the question is, can he does he have the capacity? Can he with help from events that he drives? Can he change the narrative uh, before the midterms? That I mean, that's the challenge. And here's the reason why I raised the, the thing. I wasn't asking whether he's going to run again. Uh, and, and I know he should be saying what he's saying in that context, whether he's going to run or not. And I know it's an extraordinary circumstance, but I just as a as someone who's been in a White House with a first term president, having that kind of chatter is just generally wildly corrosive, like that that you're seven months in, eight months in, and there's polling that shows the lack of enthusiasm within your party is high enough that a plurality don't want you to run again. It just makes the press ask the question over and over again. It's a little like the birth certificate for you guys at the beginning. It's like you don't want to do you want to be gar- in the middle of all this shit. But one thing Joe Biden doesn't need is a bunch of people in his own party telling pollsters they don't want him to run again. And re- the press ask giving it fuel for the press to ask about it over and over again. And it fueling every right wing meme. I just think the next year is just going to see this question it's just going to elevate the question and it's going to be a constant hum. And inside the White House, that's a very toxic, that's a very toxic, sorry, toxic thing. If you think it's a hum now, imagine what it'll be, be if the midterms go sure. down sure. the way it did. Well, the other thing he needs, just to extend your point, uh, the other thing he doesn't need is people talking about his birth certificate uh, mm-hmm. all the time either. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's another issue. Hey, was, was he born in Kenya too, David? Yeah, <laughs> I've never seen his birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to need President Trump to conduct an investigation. So speaking of crazy conspiracy theory people, can we talk about the House Republicans for a second? Your favorite topic. I knew this was How coming. about, well, I mean, it, it, it warrants Talk about viruses. Discussion. Marjorie Taylor Greene saying that McCarthy doesn't have the votes. We've talked about this. He probably doesn't right now to uh, get reelected. Uh, Unle- and, and then won't get him unless he expels Cheney and Kinzinger for their sins. You've got, you know, the Gosar thing, you know, where McCarthy promises to give him better committee assignments next time for threatening the life of uh, Look, a- I, AOC. I, I take your point, but hard to bet against a mollusk. You know, they tend to be able to survive. I think if they it's, don't I'm win talking the about House, the larger thing. What is what the hell is going? I mean, OK, but I, do, I just so, want to say are, Kevin, who I'm not a fan of, I think is not a lock, but is underestimated as far as surviving. There's a larger point here, which is this is who they are yes. right now. This is yes. who they are. And, you know, we talk about the suburban voter moving away, moving away from Democrats and so on. How at what point? Does this get too heavy a load for Republicans to have uh, Marjorie Taylor uh, Greene and, uh, you know, Boebert and Gates and uh, Gosar uh, basically uh, becoming the face of the Republican Party because nobody's willing to stand up to them? No, look, it's one, it's a moral disaster for the party. Politically, I think the average cowering member in Congress is thinking, wow, the nuts are running out of control, but I don't want Trump to come wipe me out like my friend Anthony Gonzalez. So we're going to win the midterm. So do nothing. Don't answer the phone. Just watch the clock. And when in doubt, if our crazies from the nativist white grievance tribe are fighting the of color crazies on the Democratic, and that's the thing, and everybody lines up tribally, we get those white Trump voters. So maybe it's not so bad. It's ultimately cynical, but I think that's what they're thinking. 
let me just say something of what you call the of color tribe and progressives and so on. Well, no, no, hang on. I got to interrupt you there. I got to blow a whistle. That's not what I say. I'm talking from their point of view. No, I understand. I understand. All right. Well, uh, no, that's fair, Mike. I didn't mean to append that to you. I get enough angry letters already saying, no, no. You know, so anyway, well, go ahead. Just for hanging around with me? <laughs> well, believe me, that's one of the many problems. Now that Heilman is involved. Yes, we're dead. But the uh, no, but someone I had a discussion with someone about this yesterday. And they said, "Well, you know, it's both sidism." I've not heard a progressive threaten the life of a Republican member of Congress. I've not heard that. No, no, no. I, I yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I, I'll tell you something. I am really, really. I, I'm telling you, this thing is going to a really bad place because once you normalize that, someone is going to take it seriously. They already have taken it seriously. They already, well, that was part of what January 6th was about. Yes, yes indeed. And I th- look, I think, you know, everybody's got to stop being somehow shocked by this post. I mean, we're now almost a year after January 6th. Like, have you ever seen anything, a larger scale thing that normalized political violence in your lifetime? No. And, and, right, and right now, you know, it's not Donald Trump. It, it still is the de facto leader of the Republican Party, is is turning January 6th not just into a, as, Pi, as Mike Pence says, you know, just a day in January, but like for Trump, it's a, it's a glorious day. They were freedom fighters. They were fighting against the real steal, the real rigged election, right? That's what he says over and over again. He's, he's trying to make Ashley Babbitt into a martyr. You go into these deep red districts where this is now the, the it's the, the currency there is that this was a heroic day, not yeah. just not it wasn't as bad as people say. This was a great day in which freedom fighters stormed the Capitol to try to stop an election from being stolen. That's the rhetoric. Again, a large part of the party, some of the people you're naming, David, are raising tons of money off it. And in the reddest districts in the country, that's where the energy is in the party. And if you right. talk to people who are really like that, the politics is is a huge problem. And I ask, I guess I wonder one of the questions is, do, do those people that you'd mentioned right now, MTG? Bobert, Gosar, Gates, or as much the face of the Republican Party as, I mean, I bet more Americans at this point, even though the number is still small. Certainly more than Mike Murphy. Could identify them, well, certainly or more than Uncle, or Uncle Waltmer, <laughs> or Uncle Walt Murphy. I think they may be better known than Kevin McCarthy in a lot of places. Yeah, no, they for totally sure. are. I mean, look, and, and, and only Mitch McConnell maybe is better known in the country than those people. And David's raising the right question, which is beyond the question, Mike, of your thing about the morality of it and the health of our political culture, which is the Republican Party is in a systematic way normalizing political violence. That's what they're doing. They're doing it every day. And Paul Gosar is just one small part of that. But there's the political question. When does that load get to be too heavy? Is it possible? Yeah, yeah. Because yes. I look, I agree with all this. It's why I've blown yeah. up most of my career in the party. But <laughs> these arguments will get you a standing ovation at the New York Times editorial board meeting. The question is the hard politics. The reason they're defining the party is they're the noisiest because nobody will stand up to them because most of these incumbents are just laying low and waiting to hopefully win majority. And, you know, some are retiring, some can't take it anymore. A lot of them are privately disgusted, but not nearly enough even at that right. level. So the question is, what happens? I'll tell you what happens. You want an apocalypse? Here it is. I was the, hoping for an apocalypse. I'm glad you're going to say. Here you go. I got an elongated <laughs> apocalypse there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> so the midterms are kind of fixed, at least in the House, for a lot of reasons. Biden's made it worse, not better. The identity politics obsession of the Democrats have fueled this, made it worse, not better, while their moral umbrage. Uh, I get why. The Republicans, almost no matter what they do, are likely, not certain, but likely to win the House in the midterms. That'll embolden all these people. They and Trump will claim credit. And the conventional wisdom yeah. will be like, they may be assholes, but they're winning assholes. Yes. Look what yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. And they will get stronger. And yeah. the Democrats, of course, we're in a position to save democracy that the Democratic Party is too important to be left to the Democrats. Because they will double down on the woke stuff and the identity stuff and set up exactly the Trump comeback uh, sort of election uh, that we all fear. So I don't quite know how to break that cycle. There are people in the yeah. party who want to, and I actually have a last call. I'm going to talk about one thing that's going on, but it's very grim right now. And there's no ref who can come in and say, hey, wait a minute, you're destroying democracy with this pandering. Yeah. I wish the Democrats would run to the center to take suburban oxygen ideologically, but they are incapable of that. Well, we'll see if that's the case come November and how people run. But I, I do think that those people and that threat is potentially a cudgel with these suburban voters who yes. don't necessarily want to be uh, associated with that. 
So, uh, you know, that that was the main point that I was making. It's something that I would certainly explore. I mean, that's the, the question is like, if you if you look at, at 2020 and you see that Trump was obviously poisoned in, in the suburbs and a lot of Republicans outperformed Trump because they kept their distance from Trump. And Mike, I think the question, I don't know, I have an answer to this, but the, I think just to, to, to more fully state the question David's asking, at least the question it raises in my mind is, at what point does the Trumpification of the Republican Party and, and the fact that, so Trump is gone, at least for now, he's not actually in the public square. Uh, you know, if, if MTG, Matt Gates, uh, and the rest of those folks become effectively the proxy for Trump and they're the face of the Republican Party, is it not possible that the same thing could happen to the party as what happened to Trump himself in 2020, where the suburbs walked on him because he was so toxic, because he was so toxic. Yeah. Look, the suburbs are everything. It won't save the house, but it'll trim the Republican win lot, but it will give the Senate to the Democrats. And so the battle for the suburbs is it, but there are a lot of suburban lessons about how progressive left stuff is scary. And if we run the right guy in the down vest who doesn't have a primary and can avoid the crazy, (laughs) they spring right back to us. There is a reason the House Democrats have had trouble uh, winning for a while. So uh, that's the big jump ball. But you're right. You know, watch Bucks County. It'll tell you the whole story. Here's a concerning number for you uh, mm. from if from that theory standpoint. Uh, so Trump in the suburbs in the Economist YouGov poll this week, forty one fifty five. Uh, Biden is forty four fifty one. Mm. Uh, so their numbers are pretty comparable, and yeah. uh, and and Trump's sitting there with an eighty seven percent approval rating amongst uh, Republicans. So uh, you know. Mike's, I mean, I, right. I'm resisting Mike's apocalyptic vision, but not with a lot of conviction. Do you think, Mike, do you think at this point that are you in the camp of, if you went down and talked to like Karl Rove or somebody like that, they'd be like, God, the best thing that Republicans could do to win is to get, it, they get themselves free of Trump. But do you sit here, so you're sitting here right now thinking if Donald Trump wants a Republican nomination, he can have it. He's just going to, he's going to roll over everybody. Cause I, I actually don't think that. You don't think that here's my apocalyptic and my apocalyptic scenario is the scenario where, you know, whether Biden is imagine David's scenario, but it's a bad midterm. The immediate question after the midterms is, is Biden going to run? Is Biden going to run? You know, he might get primaried if he doesn't run. Uh, if he runs, he's, if he stays, if he seeks re-election, he gets primaried. If he doesn't seek re-election, there's a free for all on the Democratic side. And Trump is effectively the uh, running as an incumbent from the outside. Where he's raised a ton of money, everybody's afraid to challenge him, and he gets all the benefits of incumbency while not being inc- the incumbent. But he's basically like just a, a runaway freight train on the tracks on the Republican side, while Democrats tear themselves apart. Yeah, look, if it goes, if it gets complicated like that and goes tribal, and the Democrats are having a big war of should it be Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, or Pete Buttigieg, uh, and the Republican world smells win, particularly against Abrams and and Kamala, you know, the tribe may fall into order and do what the safe thing is. The problem is Trump is crazier and less disciplined now than he was in 16. So he's capable of more damage. There's also what my friend, the insurance actuary says, one out of three shot, he won't be there. So, you know, we, there's so much that can, that can happen. The problem is the trends we can identify now are good for Trump today which is terrifying. Well, speaking of apocalypses, we'll face one if we don't do a quick lightning round of, of mail. It's listener mailbag. Okay, if you have a question for the venerable mailbag, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget to do what every good American is doing. Rush online and subscribe to the free twice a week by email hacks on tap newsletter that Gibbs and I put out because you can't get enough of us can you all you got to do is go to hacks on tap dot hacks on tap dot it's a lot of fun we go into a lot more stuff than we talk about here question number one for David Axelrod yes sir from art do you think that the appointment of former Mayor Mitch Landrau of Louisiana to be infrastructure spending czar is a deliberate move to raise his profile for a potential 2024 presidential run. Interesting. Well, Art, you know, given the fact that the president and his people have gone to great lengths to emphasize the fact that he intends to run 
uh, for re-election in 2024. I doubt in the midst of that they injected Mitch Landrieu to raise doubts about that. That said, it is a great plat- platform for Landrieu, who is a very successful mayor of New Orleans. He is a guy who has uh, reached into moderate uh, working class uh, white voters and is very comfortable in 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 the black church and in the black community. Uh, so he, if there is an open race for president in 2024, he would be an interesting name. This will be an interesting platform for him, but we'll see. Formidable candidate in a general election. Uh, Mike. Yes, sir. Let me ask you this, because a guy named Mike. No relation. How do you know? All it says <laughs> is Mike on the sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. I'm in politics. All right. This is from Mike. I'm asking for my Uncle Walt. He says, <laughs> I don't know what that means. He said, I'm curious how you square the analyzed results from the, he says, he asked whether there are overanalyzed results from the Virginia governor's race with the results from the California recall election held just a few weeks earlier. It can't just be because there are more Democrats in California because Newsom essentially matched Biden's performance while McAuliffe underperformed by 16 points. It is simply that candidates and campaigns matter more than, is it simply that candidates and campaigns matter more than people appreciate? Brilliant question, Mike. Campaigns and candidates do matter, although there's a huge generic Democratic advantage in California, a lot fewer swing voters, and there wasn't really a race here. Uh, Gavin Newsom polarized it R versus D, and that's always a winning hand for the Democrats. The Republican candidates were cul-de-sac candidates. They were creatures only of the of the Republican primary, which is a small number of voters. So it turned into a referendum on crazy Republicans and Trump in a hardcore blue state. In Virginia, you had the opposite. One, you didn't have a Republican primary. So a candidate who could run to the suburban center, comfortable on tone, Glenn Youngkin, was able to make the make the race more of a negative referendum on the Democrats and Joe Biden. And, and McAuliffe also had the problem of, even though it was an open seat, being in effect the incumbent, having had been governor before. And they were able to pick the lock tumblers, uh, particularly in those key suburban areas, and win. So much more muscular candidate and campaign in Virginia, much more favorable landscape. Also, recall elections just kind of fucked up. The recall was just kind of inherently suspect to a lot of people. Like, what the fuck is this thing? And let me just interject for a minute. We have a question we don't have time for from Justin. Wants to know all about Gina Raimondo. (laughs) What are we talking about? (laughs) I was talking about her for vice president, the greatest (laughs) Democratic governor in America in Rhode Island. I'm glad she's in the cabinet. She's doing well. She's doing well as a commerce secretary now. She's crushing it. Yeah. She's tremendous. Heilman, Christian wants to know, as a Latino from Texas, it increasingly seems like the Latino community in the state is following the path of previous immigrant groups, i.e. Irish or Italian communities, where their party affiliation after the first generation depends more on geography, rural, urban divide, and education level, and less on racial or ethnic background. Do you agree? What can Democrats do to win back Latino voters or stop the bleeding in more center-right states like Texas, Florida, and other key states across the South? Christian raises a, a, a massive important question for the future of, of partisan politics in America. That like, requires a, a brief but pithy answer. And, and I will say the following things quickly. I will say, number one, he's totally on to the fundamental thing, which is that all Hispanics are not alike. And, right. and one of the biggest problems that Democrats have had is treating Latino voters as if they're all the same. Yes. And, and, and and the Cuban voters in, in, in South Florida are different from the Mexican-Americans in, in the Rio Grande Valley, et cetera, et cetera. So they got, first of all, they got to be more, uh, it is true that some of them are are more conservative. And some of them are more liberal and, and Democrats have to recognize those variances. And I think the, the, the really, mo- you know, the, the thing that that's obviously popped out of the data in 2020 is this David Shore thing, which basically said that defund the police was a really bad message among Hispanics. And you look at all of the data from what happened in 2020, Democrats emphasizing, I'm going to sing a Murphy tune here, but this is also David Shore avowed Marxist saying, hey, you know what, like and Bernie Sanders supporter saying, you know, these cultural left-wing cultural issues are play badly in a lot of ways, but not just among white suburban voters. They play very badly among Hispanic voters and they cost Democrats dearly, not just the presidential level, but down ballot. And so that, that's a, that's a kind of a reinforcing, uh, an illustrative element of the larger question, which is Democrats who just assume Hispanics hate Trump because they, he's bad on immigration made a huge mistake and they can't afford to make that mistake going forward. They're going to be on the wrong side of this very important emerging electoral constituency. 
You managed to avert a catastrophe, uh, Heilman, by getting that answer in time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and time for us to say thank you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I've got a Uh-oh. plug that could be a last call, oh. but we don't need to play the music. You guys can ridicule me. Just only take a minute, and then we're we out of here. Do, is all this right, about we'll Ramundo? It. Is this about Ramundo, too? No, 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 no. This, this okay. is about the California okay. Common Sense Party. Now, I'm generally mm-hmm. against the third-party thing because I think it's complicated. Uh, the winning part is complicated. But here in California, the Republicans are absolutely hopeless. So why not use it as a laboratory? A bunch of uh, great right-of-center troublemakers led by former Congressman Tom Campbell are trying to get a party recognized called the California Common Sense Party to give right-of-center voters another choice. I think it's worth a try. Everything interesting in America, for good or bad, often happens first here in California. So they got to get 77,000 people to change their party registration to the new Common Sense Party. I've done it. You Californians who listen can check it out at CA, like California, CACommonSense.org. It's an interesting idea, worth a try. Is this a little like no labels, like on a California basis? No, no, it's not nearly that. That, That's McKinnon's thing. So here's my thing. Here's my question about this. Mike started to say, I'm I'm against, I'm generally against the third party thing. I swear I thought you were going to say, I'm generally against common sense, which I thought were the two words. Oh, I've always been against common sense, but it's it's the name we have. Let me just say that everything interesting does begin in California, and that's why we sent Murphy out there to podcast (laughs) from California. As a scout. John Heilman, good to see you. I'm going to see you. Later this week for the the Bulls and the Knicks. Yeah, Axe and I are going to Madison. Axe and I are going to Madison Square Garden together. We're going to go in hazmat suits to fight off the Omicron and watch the Knicks wipe the floor with the Bulls. It's going to be an yeah. Incredible and if, if you if you've been tested and vaccinated, come up and say hello uh, while we're there. <laughs> Tell me how that one turns out. I'll be in my germ-free bunker. <laughs> we'll be texting. All, All right, see you guys. guys.